He had an orangutan whose real name wasn't Clyde. It was Pumpkin. He played Josie Wales in the outlaw Josie Wales. Kelly and Kelly's heroes, he directed Space Cowboys. Played the stranger and High Plains Drifter and Bronco Billy McCoy. He rode a horse as the man with no name. Lots of characters that sound the same. Like Will, Jack, Tom, Tommy, Joe, Jed, and Walt. Frankie, Frank, Wes, Jonesy, and Joe. And Harry Callahan, Harry Callahan, Harry Callahan, Harry Callahan. Welcome to The Good, The Pod, and The Ugly. I am Jack. I am Ken. Uh, so this is our first episode. We are watching every Clint Eastwood movie, starting with the latest and the first one and then moving toward the middle as we go along so that's about um 300 movies we estimated <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we're do- we're doing um two movies per podcast so. yeah so one will be like more recent and then the other one will be far back in time so yeah to start we are reviewing richard jewell his most recent movie and revenge of the creature which was his, <laughs> his, his technically his first appearance <laughs> Yes, it's a good one, the appearance anyway. The appearance, I would say with confidence, his scene is maybe the only good scene in the movie. I, I would have to agree. It was a few action scenes that I kind of liked. But... Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> let, let's not jump ahead. Right. Uh, so we're going to start with Revenge of the Creature, which came out in 1955 mm-hmm. and was a sequel to um, a movie with the creature. Uh, Yes, who lives in a black lagoon. So each episode we are going to, one of us is going to do research on one of the movies and the other one is going to do research on the other movie. And we're, you know, one of us is going to have a little more perspective than the other one. Kind of like life. And I'm going to be honest, since I was alive in 1996, I didn't do a whole lot of research on Richard Jewell, but I think I did enough that I could could make it. Yeah. Let's go Revenge of the Creature. Revenge of the Creature. What what can you tell us about Revenge of the Creature before I get into what i thought how bad it was um i can tell you that jack arnold directed it he made a lot of movies in that era as you probably know including here's one that really freaked me out he also made tarantula in the same year that also has an appearance by clint eastwood in an uncredited role isn't that crazy yeah he made a lot of creature movies didn't he yeah so um just to clarify another thing about this podcast um, we're not going to do technically every movie he appeared in because early on he was in some shit. And they were just, um, you know, appearances right. uncredited. Like and... as janitor or as jet squadron leader in yes. Tarantula, for example. So we're going to skip ahead from the, his very first movie, which we're doing now, to um, his pilot episode for Rawhide next, yeah. next week. And then the Sergio Leone movies after that. Yeah. That way, if he, when, he, when he makes more movies... We still have movies in the past we can jump back to, even if they're ones where he just had a cameo. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of explaining it. Let's talk about Revenge of the Creature, though. Okay. Um, So, Tom Hennessy played the creature um, when he was on land. There are two different actors playing the creature, actually. One of them for Underwater, who was a stuntman, and one of them for Out of Water. And he was also in, I looked over Tom Hennessy's 
uh, IMDb page. He wasn't in anything I recognize except for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh, that's a good movie. Which, that's John Wayne, right? That's I'm pretty sure that's a John Wayne okay, movie, sure. right? Uh, but yeah, that's the one that I can't tell you the, the, the plot twist on that one. Oh, okay. Well, I know there's a plot twist, though. Okay, well. Um, and that's interesting because if it is John Wayne, it's interesting because he had a bit of a rivalry with Clint Eastwood there. He didn't really like him much. He thought his movies were way too violent. Oh, that's right. And the uh, the Sergio Leone movies made yeah. Clint Eastwood a star. And John Wayne was like, oh, man, he needs to rear up on a horse like I did at the end of True Grit. <laughs> yeah. So Revenge of the Creature opens up in the Amazon. Or on the Amazon. Florida. Actually. Yeah. It's in Florida. <laughs> and there are some guys. They're, they're on a ship. At first, uh-huh. it seems like it's three guys, and then um, and there's the Spanish guy from the first one, who's I think the only survivor. I don't remember. I, I haven't seen. And, the first and they one. all they all sit down and drink, and it, it's kind of like the scene in Jaws. And I, I ex- loved that scene. I was expecting the Spanish guy to go. I was on the USS Indianapolis, <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen. Oh, like the guy in Jaws. Oh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that scene was really good. I think the first act of this movie for a monster movie in 1955 was really good there was um one thing i really appreciated is i i love good gunshots and squibs in movies and well this obviously was too early on for squibs the gunshots when they were shooting at the creature near the beginning looked really real because the bullets were going into the water and as soon as they hit the surface they dropped down like you know real bullets that was really cool i thought yeah i don't have an issue with with, uh, the first act it's a, a couple of dudes and a captain, and they're trying to trap the creature. Yeah. Um, there is one point where the creature is watching them. It appears to be waving its hand yeah. at the dude in the water. It's waving. That was really weird. Oh, but what I liked, uh, when you're first introduced to the two American guys who are hunting it, um, one guy's like, I sure could use a, a tall, tall, cold beer. <laughs> and the other guy said, or a short, warm blonde. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was... There is so much in that movie that is just, like, I know it's dated and it came out a while ago, but watching movies from that era where it's, like, a bunch of sweaty dudes and they're just talking about broads, you know, it's painful. They act like, I wrote down at one point, they are acting like Daglas and Sanch in Dark Place, but unironically, yes. So, spoiler, they ca- capture the creature. He's By in a coma. blowing it up and it goes into a coma. Yeah. So then they bring it back to Florida. Right. Uh, and at that point, we're introduced to... Well, is that when we cut to um, his first big scene? Yeah. Yeah, That's this is it. It's Clint Eastwood. He, you hear his very commanding, powerful voice before before you, right. you see his face. And I turned I turned to you, and I was like, because we watched this together, I, I turned to you, and I was like, it's him. It's him. It was it was his moment. It was so his moment. He's he's in the lab with right. the, the dude who uh, plays the professor, who looks a lot like John Lynch, general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. No relation to David. Right. And go ahead. You you can describe he, the scene. He. I thought the scene was great because it has a <laughs> secret connection to Unforgiven. Now let me explain. <laughs> in this scene, Clint Eastwood's character, uncredited lab physician, I think his name was. They're doing this experiment with mice and a kitten. They're raising them together to prove that those animals don't have any natural, you know, like the cat doesn't naturally want to eat the mouse and the mouse isn't naturally afraid of the cat. But Clint Eastwood's character thinks, oh yeah, the cat is going to eat the mice at some point. So there were four mice in there, but now there's only three, I think. Yeah, and then Professor's like, you fed them all this morning, right? And And he's he's like, yeah. And he goes, oh, wait a second. Reaches in his pocket 
and there's the mouse. In his pocket. And then, you know, you just cut away from that. It doesn't yes. matter anymore. But that is so great because think about Unforgiven. We'll get to Unforgiven at some point. In Unforgiven, what's it all about? It's about, you know, the nature of man, even though if you turn away from all that, you're going to go back to being violent, you know? It's a very cynical movie. And in this movie, what was this character thinking? No matter, you know, no matter what, it's the nature of these creatures to be violent towards each other. So he, his his entire filmography was set from finding that little rat. In exactly. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Right. That really blew my mind. Um, uh, so the rest of the movie just isn't very good after that. Yeah, they bring him to this uh, marine life, marine world place in Florida. and, and mm, they, It's like Jurassic Park and King Kong. There is and, one good scene uh, where they're, they're uh, dragging him around the water a little bit and uh, to wake him up. And um, the main girl, who is blonde, she's a something-something scientist. Yeah. Um, she explains what they're doing. And this was a chunk of dialogue. And I imagine this poor girl sitting home with her roommates saying, how am I going to read this dialogue and make it work? Because it doesn't. But she explains the physiology of why they're trying to... And also, salt water and fresh water. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. Which which one? Make make up your mind. It's the creature from the Black Lagoon, and a lagoon is a lake. So And it was also in a river, so it's a freshwater creature, but then they had it with fish and sharks and stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's a very advanced... And I know from creature. my shark phase when I was a little kid that sharks are not freshwater creatures. No. I was always scared of that when I went swimming. Right. But they're not. Anyway, the they're they're waking him up. It wakes up. It attacks a bunch of people. Actually, that sequence I thought was that was good. great. When they pulled the guy out of the water and he had cuts all over him, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah, that that part was great. Um, and then eventually they chain him up in a tank where they feed him and try and train him for what feels like seventeen hours. Yeah, <laughs> this is the longest eighty-minute movie I've ever seen. So there, there's the blonde lady, right? And the creature gets the hots for her. The professor has a hotspur, and then the the guy who um, captured Joe, who captured the creature in the Amazon, has the hotspur. Um, and and at one point, the professor is is hitting on the girl, and then Joe comes, <laughs> and he says he's he calls him Mister America first of all. And yeah. He he talks well enough about him that he you kind of think maybe he wants a threesome, but right. anyway, he says he doesn't <laughs> want him to cut in on my cake because he's hitting on her first. Right. And that, that's my favorite line of the movie. That was probably the last good part, honestly. <laughs> well, then the professor and the lady, they go to um, <laughs> floppy, the, in quotation marks, educated, educated porpoise. And then the, the, <laughs> the lady starts talking about her dog like it's her boyfriend. And it's really weird. So, no, this is weird. It starts out where they're sitting there next to each other, watching floppy, the quote-unquote educated porpoise right and then she goes oh hi chris it's chris my dog and this giant german shepherd just walks up to her in this crowded city arrangement with all these other people watching floppy quote-unquote educated porpoise it's like where where did this dog come from yeah that didn't make any sense and then she started talking about the dog weeks ago having thrown a pass at her and oh yeah it was awful yeah it was it was painful um the line what a character is delivered twice in this movie. Once about, um, I think, the Spanish guy at the beginning, and then once about the dog. This movie it was just a shameless, straight-up rip-off of King Kong. It was, and also I have to say that Michael Crichton must have watched this a lot because it's the same plot as Westworld, it's yeah. the same plot as Jurassic Park. It's it's some creature that should not be shown for, for 
the entertainment of the general public, and then escapes and it kills a bunch of people. Right. The problem with this movie is it, it seemingly takes three or four hours to get to the point where it escapes. Right, and also when it does escape, it's not very interesting. There's it, a few cool things. Yeah, he almost kills a little kid, which is, was almost He cool. pushes over a car, which that effect was pretty amazing. Yeah, he just shoved that thing out. He was trying to get to the ocean, and the car was in his way, and he's like, oh, well. You know, flip it over. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. So uh, Joe, the guy who was trying to cut in on the professor's cake, he gets killed by the creature when the creature finally escapes. Right. And there, is, there, I think, are three or four really long scenes of them going in and feeding the creature, and then it, like gets really mad and then they have to leave and then it pulls on the chain that it's chained to the, right. the tank and then it pulls on it and then gives up and then when the chain does break it doesn't break where he was pulling it it pulls off near his ankle so yeah i don't know what he was doing the I, whole time. yeah it didn't make any sense and they didn't clip his claws either which you mentioned yeah they should have filed those those things down yeah that would have saved a lot of lives yeah so he escapes um and then they're in a motel and the creature takes the dog and kills it, and then they go looking for the dog. It becomes like like a like a fake sort of. It becomes a ripoff of Frankenstein at this point. I think a creature kind of close to humanity, kind of stumbling around, and it's supposed to be lonely, and it kills a little animal. That's and it's obsessed with the the blonde lady. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much Frankenstein. But the the bad thing about it is like the the dog goes missing, and they're like, eh, it'll show up. They're going on a cruise. They're going on a three week cruise. The dog goes missing, and the guy is like, oh, he'll be back on your doorstep when we get home. And it's like, no, the dog's going to starve to death, you monster. <laughs> but also, it's a German Shepherd. There, yeah. there are better breeds of dog out there. I have to agree. There's one of them. <laughs> so the, the, the creature kidnaps the blonde. Um, they're running around. And... There's so much running and stumbling. And, and then, they and then there, are, there are these two guys who just show up out of random. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, college diploma... I'll, I'll go get I'll go get the dog. Hold on. Anyway, so okay. where were we? Um, we were interrupted by a dog, not Chris the dog. And again, the dog's name was Chris, and it threw a pass at this lady, and and, and German it was killed, and nobody cared. Um. Anyway, at one point she talks to the professor, and it's almost like she's concerned because she wants her career, but she also wants a family and kids. And he's like, I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the very next scene is when the creature escapes. So I kind of feel like she was punished. Yeah. Her. To her character's credit, she has the biggest chunk of dialogue explaining really boring scientific facts. <sighs> they gave her something to do. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Uh, you want to describe the ending? How does this movie um, Yeah, so I wrote down here at one point, I, I love Shakespeare, but I really, really hate him for inventing the trope where there's two random characters talking about something that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Oh, yeah, we, we, that's where we were. We were right. the, the two guys. Um, they're either brothers, cousins, or secret lovers. They're talking about um, <laughs> getting a college degree and how that's pretty much the same as a high school diploma used to be, my dad right. says. And they're like, hey, what's that? And then they see the girl on the beach. Right. And then we <laughs> they go to the beach <laughs> And the creature attacks him with... I don't know how they did this. <laughs> he throws the guy... I can't even explain it. He doesn't just throw him, though. It looks like he's he's probably on a wire. Yes. And they pulled it, and he just smashes into a tree in the background. It's insane. And the camera doesn't focus on it or, any, or anything, so it looks like someone just clicked him in Photoshop and dragged him <laughs> off the screen really violently. It's insane. Uh, anyway, he kills those two guys who basically appeared for 30 seconds and then were punished for being, I don't know, 
going to college. Going to college. I mean, hey, <laughs> less college students in this world, the better. Um, and then they find the girl. They find the creature. Right. Um, he keeps yelling stop because that's something that they tried to train him. And the creature finally drops the girl, stopping. And then they shoot him. And then he just swims away. He swims away. And then there's a shot of him floating like he's either dead or is he in another coma. Well, there's the a end. third movie, so I'm guessing he's in another coma. Yes. So, yeah, that's um, the end of this movie. I didn't even bother trying to watch the credits because I was just so done with it at this point. I just clicked the little home screen button on the the Roku. Yep. Wanted to get out of that one. Yep. That also, the... the quality, the app that we watched this on, the quality was terrible. I think it was perfect for the movie because the movie really doesn't deserve to be right. wholly remastered. And it was 3D. There were some 3D shots oh, of uh, the creature going, coming right at you. Lots of fish when they did the underwater footage. Swimming right past the camera. It was, yeah, that, that was really grating and terrible, I thought. <laughs> I, I think it would be really interesting to see this movie in 3D, though. So, like, back then, to see what it would be like. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. It would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, somewhere back at that original university with Clint Eastwood's character, he woke up from a nap in his lab coat and had a dead rat in his pocket. That would be my epilogue of choice. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, or... or Nick Fury can show up and say, <laughs> you have rats in your pockets. I don't want to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And he becomes Captain Rat <laughs> Oh, God. It's a whole different history of Clint Eastwood. Uh, so we had to watch that. Yeah. Um, I would never watch it again. I thought it was terrible. There were very would... few redeeming qualities. The scene where he throws the dude into the tree. Wasn't worth the watch just for that, no. though. You can YouTube that one if you yeah. want to. I thought, though, something, um, this wasn't really to the credit of, this wasn't really to the credit of the actual movie, because I'm assuming this was the same suit from the first one, which is probably a bit better of a movie, but the monster suit was really cool, mm -hmm. and when, you don't really see it close up that much, but the few times you do, it's like, oh, the gills are moving, and his mouth moves, and it's always, it always looks wet. Like, it looks cool. They put some effort into it, that's for sure. Yeah, um... The eyes looked really fake, though. That's something that yeah that really broke the illusion. But um, another thing is, I'm a really big fan of horror movies. I love horror, horror films, especially from late 70s, early 80s era. But this style of horror movie from this era has aged terribly. I don't think almost almost none of them hold up. You know, like the you know the creature from the like the classic Universal monster movies. Yeah, they're all really bad by today's standards, and that's weird because. You watch a movie like King Kong, the original King Kong, which I love. I think it's a great movie. It is the same sort of, it's, I mean, this movie was a ripoff of it, but it's because in King Kong, there is genuinely an actual sense of loneliness and like the end of an era and the ending is actually really sad. But yeah. with this movie, the only development the creature ever really gets is like being obsessed with her for no reason. And at one point the lady says she pities him because he's so lonely but nothing in the movie has ever implied to the audience or to any of the characters that this creature is lonely in any way or no. anything there's no development of that and that really sucks they tried because they sp they spoke of the creature being possibly hundreds of centuries old and being having the ability to um, procreate within itself so they they tried to make it like it's the last of its kind but they don't really know i mean how right. do they know it's the last of its kind there could be a gill lady back there. Who right. Knows? And none of them 
the other thing is none of them really seem to care. It's like they say that stuff, but then they're still zapping it and whatever, and it still gets, it still abducts a pretty lady and gets shot at the end. So it's like, it's trying to be like this, I don't know if it's trying to be deep, but it's trying to be more than it is without really committing to that. Just watch King Kong instead of this. Well, YouTube the Clint Eastwood scene and then go watch King Kong. It's a better use of your time. Yeah. Uh, can we fast forward, what, 65 years to Richard Jewell? 64 years? Yeah, well, let me just press fast forward on the tape. <laughs> oh no, a bomb. <laughs> All right, Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell is so, a, a movie um, based on the the experience of Richard Jewell in 1996 in the Atlanta Olympic um, bombing. He was the one that discovered it. He later became the prime suspect. His life was ruined. Although in the movie, I don't know if it really come off as being ruined. Um, so this story's been around a while because the, uh, the, the movie is based on a book that came out a few years ago, or back in 2014, and also based on an article that came out a year after the Atlanta bombing um, called The Ballad of Richard Jewell. I think it was a Vanity Fair. And that's what the, uh, the movie was originally called. Fun fact. Jonah Hill and Leonardo <gasps> DiCaprio, who are producers on this version of the movie, were originally attached no. as playing the lawyer character that Sam Rockwell played and then um, the character of Richard Jewell, or the person of Richard Jewell. No way. Yeah, and uh, at one point, Paul Greengrass was even going to direct it. What? Which would have been, a, I'm not going to say a much better movie, but... Um, I, I can say that would have been a much better the, movie. I think the immediacy of, of Paul Greengrass, I think he would have directed it from inside of it and it would have created a tension that Eastwood's film just doesn't have. Because in Eastwood's film, my overview is that everything seems so far gone. Conclusion, whether you know what happened or not, there's never any tension right. in that things are going to go completely off the rails. Right. So what did you think overall? What did I think overall? Yeah. It's not a very good movie. Okay. It's it's a movie with a lot of really good performances, particularly the uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Paul Walter Hauer Hauser, Rutger Hauser's son. He's not. <laughs> it's Rutger Hauer. Um, he is he is actually really good, and the character he builds from very early on is very specific and one that I I, I feel that I haven't really seen that much before, especially in in a lead character. So his That's performance and his character, I, I thought, were fairly well drawn really? for the start and, until the end. Because, really? Yes, really. Did you not think so? I thought it was a good performance. He just annoyed the shit out of me. I think that was the point. I, I, don't, I don't know what the point of this movie was. And I don't know what the point of his character was. Because I know he was a real person, and maybe it's just because I wasn't around back then or something. I don't know. But something about this movie being made now and also his whole character just really rubbed me the wrong way. The story, I mean, the, the basic story of what happened to him is, I think, is a fascinating story. And right. it's, it's almost um, uh, a thriller in the sense that he did something, he, uh, you know, something good. Right. And he just got caught up in, in these events that were a nightmare. And the movie should have felt like a nightmare. Yeah. And instead, it just felt like a very procedural, it felt like a TV movie, to be perfectly honest. It did, yeah. With a really good cast. It's like the, the best cast TV movie, um, you know, John Hamm, Kathy Bates, Sam Rockwell. I mean, these guys got Oscars and Emmys. I mean, right. you know, yeah, it's a top of the line cast. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rutger Hauer's Hauser's son, Paul 
Walter. <laughs> I I thought he was good because I don't know. I I've, I've maybe it's because I I grew up in Southern Oregon and I always know a guy like that. Guys are right. there. They're putting on. They're putting on airs. Like I'm the cop and I'm by the book and he's following all these rules. Yeah. And I thought that in the starting, the the other cops, the other security guys, kind of rolling their eyes because he is that guy. Um, I thought that was fairly well drawn. Right. Um, I thought the first act. I actually liked the first act. I did too. The C- I... Some of the CGI bomb effects. Oh my god. I don't think it's for lack of resources. Right. Uh, be I think it was because in typical Eastwood fashion, this movie was filming in in like July and August of 2019, and it was released in December of 2019. That is a really compressed window for any movie, even a movie with relatively few special effects. Right. And I think the rush to get it made um, hindered the script. Could have used more time to make it look like a half-hour realistic explosion. I think you're right, but I also think it's a problem of the whole idea of showing an explosion like that in detail, but it just doesn't look real. Just show part of it or just don't show it or something. Yeah. There are more creative ways to yeah. get around that because yeah. that really ruined it for me because afterwards you see all the people and they're covered in blood and it's pretty shocking. I mean, it's kind of generic crowds. It's like there was one part that made me laugh when John Hamm was like directing people where to go and it was clear that he, they just said, you know, they just started the camera and then he was just doing a bunch of hand motions and then they said cut immediately after. Like he wasn't, there was no one around him or anything. Um, oh, so the, I, I don't know what the band, the band that was playing when the, the bomb went off, but the night before, which is a scene in the movie, oh God. when Kathy Bates, who plays um, Paul Hauser's, um, or Richard Jewell's mom, it's Kenny Rogers. Mm-hmm. And we watched this on the day Kenny Rogers died. Yeah, that was really weird. That yeah. freaks me out. Yeah. And we also watched it what was it right after the Kenny Rogers episode of Seinfeld? Yeah, Kenny Rogers Roaster. Yeah. Man makes a mean bird. Was, that was really weird that all three of those things happened in the same day. Well, he is the gimber. Uh, I don't know. I had never heard of Kenny Rogers before yesterday. I would just like to say that. <laughs> so the first act, up to the bomb. I um I mean the 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 pedestrian way where his relationship with um the lawyer Watson. Watson the lawyer played by Sam Ra- Oscar winner Sam Rock. Yeah, the first note I took for this movie was I love Sam Rockwell because he's yes, amazing. He is. Um, their whole scenes and their introduction is a bit meat cute for my taste. Yeah. And I didn't really buy it. I buy that maybe that lawyer obviously knew him years later and remembered him, but the whole thing about the Snickers bar and him yeah, was, filling yeah. up his supplies in his desk was a little creepy. That was really weird. Yeah. Bizarre. What do you, what else do you have for me? Um, I took a bunch of notes. Cute doggy. He had a cute dog. He did, and the dog didn't play a, a part in the plot. I always appreciate the realism of a dog in a movie. Right. Yeah, that's good. Hello, Chris from The Revenge of the Creature, who was only there for the creature to kill it. Yeah, two cute dogs in both these movies. Beagle is a little bit better than a German Shepherd. Yeah. But still, one of them didn't die, so I appreciated that. So uh, when Sam Rockwell and um, Rutger Hauer's son, where they part, the, for the first, the first, when they're, after they're introdu- introduced, he said... Richard Jewell, I can see you're going to have a badge soon. Just don't become an asshole, because a little power can turn you into a monster. That's five minutes into the movie, and it's right. like, okay, well, thanks for letting us know exactly what this movie is about fairly early on. And then there's some sh- shit at the end of the movie, which, in case you didn't get what the movie was about, makes it so explicit. I, I, I really felt the laziness of, of Eastwood's storytelling of just explicitly explicitly saying well this is what what the movie's about i um completely agree i will have to say one thing 
yeah. I do not remember how this movie ends. We just watched this last night. I don't remember how it ends. I also fell asleep halfway through. I wasn't <laughs> tired, but I would say um, the there's a point in the second act, though, right around when I woke up, that was really interesting. And then it just, when the reporters and stuff started crowding around their house, I hate that. I'm sure it happens in real life, but I hate it in movies. It's mm -hmm. so generic and stupid, and they're always saying the same thing. They're crowding around him. Did you do it, Richard Jewell? They're crowding around <laughs> Sam Rockwell. Did he do it? It's like... What do you think he's gonna say? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, can we go back a little bit before the? the yeah. Um, the, sorry. This this movie was very controversial before it opened for the portrayal of um, the Atlanta Constitution, whatever the newspaper is called. Um, Kathy Scruggs, I think her name was, played by Olivia Wilde. Mm -hmm. And before the movie came out, it was very controversial, and and they um, petitioned the movie in the studio to have a title card saying that. Some of the people were portrayals, and they took dramatic license. Right. Warner Brothers didn't do it. Um, I don't know here or there what they're talking about, but the very first scene Olivia Wilde's character is in—that was Olivia Wilde. She is, she's she's probably a great lady and a great actress, but her character is so one note, shrill and bitchy. Yeah. Um, definitely need another pass oh, or yeah. two on the script there. Um. Her entire character was absolutely awful. Her entire arc is absolutely awful. Right. Um, the scene, the the police work, you know, with the the phone booths. Oh Just, yeah, the phone booths. Yeah. So if anyone is listening to this, you know, if anyone out there is still alive because we're recording this during the apocalypse. Sweet. Um, and you haven't seen this movie. There is a point where they do the most basic, generic, like, a, a child could have thought of this. Where, when the bomb, before the bomb goes off, there's a phone call placed to the, uh, what, the police, right? The, yeah, the police. Where it's like, there's a bomb that's gonna go off, and then they think Richard Jewell did it, but the time to get to that phone booth from the park and back isn't enough. Like, he couldn't have possibly done it. Yeah. So, at some, one point, Sam Rockwell and his secretary girlfriend kind Whatever. of a weird situation yeah they go from the park to the phone booth with a timer and sam rockwell says oh my god he really didn't do it <laughs> and, like, and she's like unless he rode a bike it's like thanks <laughs> <laughs> thanks for clouding that so um let's go back to olivia wilde right um, so the, the, the main complaint was that the, the movie makes it very clear that, um, she, um, she fucked John Hamm to get the information about Richard Jewell being a suspect. And the, the reporter, the lady, she's, she's no longer with us. Richard Jewell, spoilers, no longer with us either. Um, yeah, that whole scene and her whole character, it, it's just so grating in one note. And then after the story is... <laughs> The story is published, and then she walks in, and the entire newsroom oh stands up and gives her applause. It doesn't make any sense. No, hey, you have a headline story, and we're going to clap. And it's like, oh, you guys, we still got a story to do. Um, Ridiculous. So I have to talk about Sam Rockwell. Yeah, and his character, Sammy Rocks, as I call him. Yeah, he's got a poster 
in his office, and there's a little bumper sticker on it that I saw says, that. I fear the government more than terrorists. Right. Someone put that there on purpose. You think? You think? You yes. think? That was a, a very... The, the set design of that movie actually was, was pretty good for 1996. They didn't overdo it. Everybody was dressed appropriately, and the set decorations were fine. So that was decisive choice to put that there, as was... And I don't know what this is, but at the end of the movie, where they go to the FBI office, and then there's this this, this Confederate flag in the oh background, and the way every shot is framed, it is right there in the frame. That was a, a conscious choice that they made, and I'm not sure what it means, yeah. but there's a lot of ways to shoot a scene, and if you are purposely picking a Confederate flag, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why, unless yeah. it was just a, a pop of red color, which this movie's not very big on color anyway, so I don't really get that. There's um, one scene in the middle of the movie that is great, that is shot really, really well, and it's the scene where they have him in to sign the paper, and yes. they're trying to convince him to confess, basically. That scene, it was weird, because like the whole movie was painfully average, the way it was shot. It, like you said, it was like a TV movie, and that scene had really deep shadows and really good lighting and then the next scene was like washed oh, out you, you know the scene where they're in his apartment and uh, sam rockwell leaves for a minute and then they're they're having him record the yes in the trailer i, I remember the trailer it was it was just him and a black background and john ham and a black background like in a black box right and i kept expecting that scene so when it yeah. got to it and it was more naturalistic in his living room i was like what the fuck was up with the trailer and that that's what i was because i told you last night we could talk about the way that this movie was marketed that's what i was referencing is the first teaser for this movie was so good because all it was is them the two fbi guys and they're like just record the message and he's like uh, trying to figure out if he should do it or not and then he picks up the phone at the end of the teaser and the way it's lit and the way it looks like it's in it's like they're nowhere it's like they're just in an inky black space is really cool yeah and i really expected the movie to be shot more like that where it's like you know but that scene just didn't ever happen oh in case you don't know what the movie's about sam rockwell as a lawyer yeah. says this twice in the movie the kid's getting railroaded so he says it once and then about 15 minutes later he says it again sam rockwell is obviously the most likable person and he's the guy that you know he is so even though he's quirky right you know the second he's there that he's gonna he's gonna get richard drew off there's never any suspense yeah that anything is going to happen other than what actually happened and yeah i think that's the great fault of the movie is that there is never the sense that um, you're inside the movie and you don't know what's going to turn exactly. out. Exactly. Well. Yeah. And and that is the hugest fault in the movie. There's almost never any suspense. The build up to the bomb going off, it's the old Hitchcock thing. You know it's going to go off. Right. That whole sequence I thought was really good. You know, yeah. When he goes up the stairs, he says, "Hey, uh, we got a suspicious package," and they're like, "Ah, when someone has a badge, they can kick us out." And then yeah. later he's running up. He says, "You got to get out of here. It's going to blow up." Yeah. That was that. Was, I thought that was really good too. Worst scene in the movie. Ooh. This is an easy one. Sam Rockwell goes and talks to um, Richard Jewell and his mom. And as he's leaving, he's driving away. And who is in his backseat? Oh, yeah. The unscrupulous reporter oh, who fucks FBI agents, Olivia Wilde. She pops up and he's like, whoa, oh, my heart. I need a Snickers. Um, <laughs> he's like, is he guilty? And he's, he's basically asking the same question all 5,000 reporters outside his house. Exactly. Asking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so stupid. So dumb. That... Oh, and there's a dream sequence. There's a dream. The completely oh. worthless dream sequence. Where they attached a GoPro to him, and it was his <laughs> yes. face yes. right in the camera as he's running around. Yes, it doesn't change the story it's at ridiculous. all. Ridiculous. You know, him lying on top of it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of what it feels like to him. It's so literal. Right. It's like his life would not have been more ruined had he jumped on the bomb himself. And that's the problem. This movie is, is way too literal. Yeah. And then the, uh, 
some some reason Olivia Wilde just knows that John Hamm is going to be at one of two or three different bars because yeah. she meets him at two different places and she just like comes up. It's like he never says how how the hell did you find me here? Right. So then, obviously, I, oh, go ahead. No, okay. Um, before yeah, keep that thought in mind. But I would like to say what I think was the worst scene in the movie because oh. what I hate in movies the most is when the uh, director thinks you're stupid. And I think the thing that made me think the most that Clint Eastwood thinks I'm stupid <laughs> is the... Kid's getting real weird. <laughs> no. So, okay. So, one of their friends comes over for dinner. He's like, oh, I heard about what happened, Richard Jewell. I'm sorry with the media and all that. And they have a nice meal, and Richard <laughs> Jewell's like, oh, whatever, I love authority and the government, or whatever. And then the guy leaves. And he is their friend, so he looks kind of sad as he's getting into a van. And there's guys with, you know, sound equipment and headphones and stuff. Uh -huh. And it's like, oh, he's their friend, but he was convinced by the FBI to spy on them. And then, if that wasn't enough, he unbuttons his shirt and he's wearing a wire. Aw, dude. We know that he was wearing a wire because he gets into a van with a bunch of guys with sound equipment. So you don't need to show us... The Wire. That's the point in the movie where I realized it wasn't going to be good. Yeah. I hated um, that. So there's also a scene where Kathy Bates gives her, her big I'm going to get an Oscar nomination speech. Right, yeah. And it, it's very weird because it's the media she is addressing. And the oh entire speech is about how the media has, has ruined her son. And then there's shots of all these media going, oh, wow, oh we gosh. are being chastised. And Olivia Wilde is crying. Her character goes from... Super bitch, willing to do anything unscrupulous to get a story. She's going, oh no, I made a mistake. And then she does the same run that Sam Rockwell did to the phone banks. And then she goes and says, oh, he couldn't have done it. There's not enough time. <laughs> and then she goes to John Hammond, the bar that she, he, she knows he's at. And she says, she delivers the line, he didn't do it. Math is wrong. Which I thought was a <laughs> great piece of dialogue. <laughs> um, he. The only other note I have past that point is he looks weird without a mustache at the end because i don't remember anything else that happened but oh well, well yeah the <laughs> ending was um when he finally realizes that he he cannot be a a simple um tool of uh authority right when he goes into the fbi office after the weird confederate flag thing is that him being a rebel to authority maybe that's it because the next scene is like john ham is ready to to grill him on the barbecue and he's going to do a don draper thing you know like right america America has one simple precept, an honest man. And then Richard Jewell's like, no, policemen are bad. Authority is poopy. You all screwed me over, and now you're going to feel bad. And then that's pretty much it. And then John Hamm's like, looks sad because yeah. he knows he's right. And then Sam Rockwell's like, he did a great job, Kathy Bates. He's really proud of him. Um, and then he, so he gets a letter saying he's no longer a suspect. And then it cuts two years later where, for some reason, Sam Rockwell comes to him in a police station. And he's like, they caught Eric Rudolph, and he admitted to the bombing. And he's like, finally. And at that point, Richard Jewell is working for a police department. So what was the point of him rebelling against authority if in the next scene he was just a police officer? It was, it was just something to do with his arc in the script. Obviously, if he still became a police officer or a desk sergeant, whatever he was, then he still had the same, same issues he had before with wanting to be a figure of authority and then it cuts to a title card that he died diabetes four years later oh god uh good job richard jewell woo. and kathy bates babysits sam rockwell and his russian secretary girlfriend i don't know it just ended 
Yes, like I said, there was never any suspense. This should have this should have been like a nightmare of right. someone getting caught in a, a vortex or a whirlpool right. that they just can't pull out of, and they don't understand how they got into it. It's a great, great story. Yeah, and it it its themes I think are relevant. Whether you think um, I think this one hewed a little too close to the um, current atmosphere of being anti media or anti FBI, which is kind of silly and reductive. But it's really just a almost a mass panic kind of nightmare where everybody believes that he did it and they have all these reasons why and, and he doesn't have a way out. The movie was just too relaxed and comfortable and that it would all yeah. turn out. And um, really, it's just not a very good movie. Uh, yeah. Paul Greengrass, who was originally attached when it was Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, his uh-huh. United uh, 93 movie about the, the one plane in 9-11 that you know, crashed that the passengers stopped them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a really, really suspenseful movie. You know exactly how it's going to end. Right. Um, and that kind of immediacy in the filmmaking is what was needed for the story and probably a few more passes on that screenplay. Um, do you know who wrote the movie? Yeah, Billy Ray, who's usually a re- really good uh, fact-based um, screenwriter. What, what else has he? He did that movie about, um, I want to say Richard Glass, but that's not his name. The Stephen Glass, the, the guy who faked all those stories for the New York Times. Oh. He's done a couple other that seem to be in the intelligence spy. I could look him up. You could, I guess. Is that all you have to say about Richard Jewell? Any other? No, I have. I have thoughts? one question. Okay. One question. This relates to Clint Eastwood's first movie. Yeah. What part of Richard Jewell would have been most improved if it had turned out someone in the scene had a rat in their pocket the whole time? <laughs> um, the wire reveal scene, but he unbuttons his shirt. It's a rat. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Billy Ray, um, Terminator, Dark Fate. Oh man, Gemini oh, Man. Shit. Oh no. Oh no. The Breakup Girl, Captain Phillips. That was one that he did with uh, Paul Greengrass. Oh my god, uh, he worked on the Hunger Games, Shattered Glass. That's the one I was talking about. Okay. Um, so he's done a lot of real life stories, but then right. also a lot of crap. Oh yeah. Okay. But you know, it's not the screenwriter's fault because it gets taken by the director and other people. Um, majority of stuff he's worked on is good, so. I'm going to give him a pass. There there are things, I think, just the script for this movie, there are definitely things that, like, especially pieces of dialogue that are really terrible. But, yeah, like you said, it was the direction of a lot of the stuff that was just, it made it so flat and boring. Yeah. Without tension. There could, just with the script, you could make that into a tense movie that just has some bad dialogue and some flat parts, you know? Yeah. yeah. The movie doesn't really feel like it plays into that too much. Right. Given when it came out, it's hard not to say that, but... Definitely the complaints about the Kathy Swigs, the, the female reporter. Yeah. I mean, those, those were all valid because her character was actually offensive. Yeah. I felt she was offensive. I completely agree. And her complete turnaround um, after Richard Jewell and his lawyer come into the, the news studio and they like confront her, which is not how the real world works. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, she turns the corner and then, you know, still the scene where she pops up in the car. So stupid. Anyway. Um, so we're going to check in with the rest of the world and see how they feel about Richard Jewell. Oh, yay. Okay, so I would just like to preface this with I have one major pet peeve, and that is uh, Google user reviews for films. I indulge myself in these almost daily, <laughs> even though I hate them. Um, because so many people just want to sound like they're professional critics, but they're not. So, first of all, I am I am going to start off with one that is from a professional critic. This is the Plugged In staff of Plugged In. And this is just the headline of their article, but I thought this was really funny. 
Eastwood's latest suggests that judging someone based on appearances and assumptions can lead to injustice and tragedy. Seems <laughs> <laughs> it up. Uh, that's great. Um, I got a bunch of these. Here's one. I accidentally cropped out the name of this person, but they gave it four stars out of five. And I won't read the whole thing, but parts of it are pretty funny. I grew up watching Mr. Clint Eastwood as the suave man with no name and all his Western legacies, and, of course, as the infamous angry cop, Dirty Harry. As much as I admired him for his brilliance as an actor, actors capitalized, it is really the director, directors capitalized, in the man I admire the most. From Play Misty for me to Unforgiven and right until now into... In the almost 2020s, he's never once given me an excuse to criticize the sheer brilliance of the man, man is capitalized, in all aspects of his involvement in filmmaking, <laughs> be it behind the camera or in front of it. His latest offering, Richard Jewell, is just another perfect wrinkle added to a face who has known the world of cinema since I oh word. He first faced the camera all those decades ago. <laughs> Okay, here's the part that really got me, because this just doesn't make any sense. Um, I read in 1992 when Unforgiven was released that it was his perfect final homage to the Western genre, which launched him into the megastar status he so enjoyed over the years. And here, I strongly disagree. As much as I loved Unforgiven, I don't think it was his final ultimate swan song to the true tradition of the Western. Not in my opinion, that is. In his, maybe. <laughs> I believe the old man still has one le western left into him and that story be told of the slaughter of the sioux nation after custer was defeated and i believe mr eastwood is the man who can tell it on screen like it really happened wish i uh, wish that uh, man I, I bet that guy has a screenplay he wants to yeah send over to malpaso Productions. right this person randy bryant two months ago gave this two stars out of five and called it a far a far right-wing propaganda film about the media being fake news ring a bell um <laughs> Connie Michalik, three months ago, gave this one star out of five Ooh. and was calling it, you know, a movie to vindicate Trump. Uh, but here is the review that really blew my mind. Yeah, let's hear it. Jennifer Lester, two months ago, gave this three stars out of five. And she says, if I, I, I just can't, I can't believe this. If I were Bobby Jewell or Dana, I don't know who Dana is, I would not let Richard be portrayed as he was. He was not slow in any movement of his mind. He was very intelligent, a always a clean, well-dressed person. He was not jelly fat as Paul Hauser. They made him out to be a wannabe slow slob. Now here's the part that really blew my mind. I dated him for four years, so I well know this to be true. He was a great man and a loving person. He will be missed. I talked to him until the end. His life was ruined, and that's the end of the review. <laughs> Some conspiracy theorist named Arnold Beck a week ago, one star out of five, talking about how they all knew it was Eric Rudolph the whole time. Okay. Okay. That's pretty much it out of the good ones. But yeah, those are some Google user reviews. What do you think? Oh, they're pretty good. So uh, one <laughs> anecdote uh, was that there were wildfires and the Warner Brothers studio uh, was evacuated during the shooting of this movie, which was like three weeks before it was released because of the contest. Whatever. Whatever. Um, but um, they were shooting the entire time. And the rest of the studio was evacuated, and they had and they had no idea. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Because Eastwood sticks to a schedule, and um, as a post postscript, um, it is one of the biggest bombs of Eastwood's career, either as actor or director. 
Uh, I think Bronco Billy is the only one that comes close. And Bronco Billy, which we will get into much, much later, is Jesus. a great movie and a great character piece, but it's obvious why it wasn't very successful, because it's kind of a weird movie. Right. Um, Richard Jewell is, is none of those things. It's not a weird, quirky character piece. Right. Anyway, uh, Richard Jewell was a flop. It might have been because of the controversy. It could have been because we have such hyper-politicized moment that a movie about a guy and the FBI and the media people just wouldn't get away from that stuff. I don't know. Or it could have been because it's a bad movie and yeah. word mouth gets around. Yeah. Um, okay, I guess that's it. Or then. maybe both. Or maybe all three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was it for our first episode. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the good, the pod, and the ugly. You can email us there. There's a link in the bio for the email, and the email is the good, the pod, the ugly at gmail.com. We will have a Twitter and a YouTube up and running soon where we will be posting frequently, hopefully. Yes. And we do not have, as of yet, a uh, release schedule, but we'll probably do bi weekly, something like that. We'll figure it out. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're yeah, so we're just starting out. Uh, next movies we're gonna do is the oh, yeah, the yeah. pilot to Rawhide, okay. which arguably was his first, you know, that made was him like a star. And then uh, we're gonna do which will possibly be his last film performance, which is the Mule. The Mule, yeah. Which I still have not seen. I haven't seen it either. I mean, as a lifelong Clint Eastwood fan, I probably should have seen it, but I'm excited that I haven't. And that right. We could watch his his big debut. Yeah. And, and then, then his last performance, and then possibly his swan song. I think it'll be a great double feature yeah so if you want to tune in next time uh watch both of those yeah before then yeah and then you can yell at us yeah from the digital ether exactly if you disagree and um if you if anyone has any questions or any reviews or any you know if you want to correct us on anything we got wrong because we probably got some yeah, stuff wrong yeah um you can just message us or email us and we'll be reading out you know anything we get at the end of the next episode yeah i have so. no idea who started the man who shot me for that one so yeah i, I probably <laughs> got that one wrong 